Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products on their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or you can give them a call, 405-458-9699. They are all about helping people live better lives. And, And so educate yourself on what they have available and how it can help you on a daily basis. Again, Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City, great people, great ownership, local ownership, and always doing great things for the community around them. So again, really excited to have them on board with the Colby Daniels podcast. All right, it is Bedlam Eve on this Friday, tomorrow night, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in Norman, college game day going to be in town. And and I'm kind of curious to see what the virtual event is going to look like. Uh, Full transparency, I don't think I've seen a college game day uh, all year long. So uh, I've had it on and I guess I've just not ever actually like paid close attention to what was happening. So anyway, uh, yeah, college game day in town, and that always seems to raise the stakes a little bit. But this is a, a big time matchup. A, a couple of teams that have kind of been on the the roller coaster ride this season with ups and downs and question marks, and uh, all of a sudden we arrive at this game, and and it kind of feels like a different matchup than we were expecting a month ago or even two months ago. Uh, and when you look at what Bavada expects, they have right now on Friday. The Sooners minus seven points, and their over-under is 59. So they're kind of expecting, I think, from a line standpoint, uh, this to be a tight game, and and I I get the impression they're expecting this to be a defensive battle. So uh, it's a unique situation considering how dynamic the Sooners and Cowboys have been offensively over the last decade uh, to look at this game and understand that Oklahoma seems to have a massive edge with their defensive line going against this Oklahoma State offensive line, despite the Cowboys' arsenal of, of game-changer-type uh, skill position players, uh, that's where I think the biggest difference in this game lies, is, is the Oklahoma uh, front four. And then on the other side of it, you know, I think it's really interesting. Oklahoma State might have the best unit in this game with that Oklahoma State defense, but if they get put in bad situations because of turnovers, if they're on the field all day long, and Oklahoma dominates time of possession... Uh, that's where I, I think they're in big trouble. And again, I think Oklahoma's too talented to to get shut out. I, I don't think that's the expectation at all. But I do think Oklahoma State is going to put them in situations where uh, Rattler is going to be pressured and he's going to have to be smart when he is. And there are going to be situations where he has to take a sack maybe or throw the football away or just live to see another down. Because if he does that, I think there are going to be big opportunities when the Cowboys do gamble and when the Cowboys do decide to pressure uh, to, to maybe call the right play at the right time and, and hit some big plays in this game. So anyway, I think it's going to be a, a terrific football game. I can't wait to see how it plays out. I think there are big-time playmakers on both sides of the football for both teams, and I cannot wait to sit in front of my television at 6.30 on Saturday night and watch the way this thing plays out. By the way, tomorrow... Saturday afternoon at 4.30, two hours before kickoff, Mike Steely and I have Bedlam pregame coverage, so make sure you tune into that. I will tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels, so again, check that out. All right, Rufus Alexander is going to join me. We're going to talk about both teams, talk about this Bedlam matchup. Rufus is going to share some Bedlam memories, and we will have Blinken Riley Bedlam facts coming up at the end of this episode. So here is today's guest, Rufus Alexander, on the Colby Daniels podcast. Happy Bedlam Friday, everyone. My guest today is former Sooner great. He is Rufus Alexander. Rufus, it's Bedlam week. What's going on, man? Man, not too much. Excited about the weekend. Can't wait to see what the Sooners do. They're starting to play a little bit. They're playing a little bit better. And, 
you know, Lincoln Riley got this little thing around there, championship November. So let's see how this run ha- let's see how this run goes. Um, OSU is uh, right now on paper they're the better team. Defensively, they've been playing pretty good. Offensively, they've been a more consistent team than the Sooners. So I can't wait to see how the game breaks down. I, that's interesting you say that. I think I feel the opposite way. I, I, I think I feel like Oklahoma's the better team. I feel like, at least coming into this game, Oklahoma, to me, looks a little bit more consistent offensively. Unless you want to say that from a consistency standpoint, you're talking about Oklahoma State being average every week, then uh, that's, that's I mean, probably fair. Steady-wise, they've been a little bit more steady. I mean, um, last last game, whenever they, you know, they had the interceptions and all that stuff, that was kind of – more not their not who they how how they were how they were playing defensively they've been playing pretty good I mean uh, yeah. they they holding teams to I mean their defense has a pulse they're they're not a bad defense they take away the ball they blitz they get to the quarterback OU struggle on the offensive line protecting the young quarterback um, the young quarterbacks also made a lot of young mistakes and throwing the ball where he's not supposed to forcing it where it's not supposed to be. Lincoln Riley's play calling has been unusual to say the least this year uh, in how he's been calling the games and stuff on the one on the one or two yard line, put a young quarterback in a situation on first down to roll out and boot when you have Ramondre Stevenson averaging nine yards a carry. Save your quarterback. Don't let him do anything dumb. Nope, he didn't do that. Almost cracked the kid's rib. He goes and gives his backup to a KU player. So things like that has kind of been unusual this year as far as yeah. play calling wise. For the Sooners, though, you having Ronnie Perkins back makes their adds another element to their defense. And they also have limited the snaps that Buki Riley houses on the field also. They starting to use other guys. They are starting to use Cordell. They started using Woody Washington. I mean, they're they're using other guys out there playing wise. And they're they're seeing these young guys these young guys can really actually play and help out this defense a little bit better than some of the guys that's been consistently making some of the same mistakes in games. So um I think they learned a little bit or a lot earlier. And I think right now, like if you're asking me to pick who's played cons- more consistent, I'm going to say OSU's played more consistent because their defense has been more consistent. Their offenses have an identity in what they want to accomplish. Have they struggled a little bit here lately? Yes, they have. But they play good football, just like the Sooners has played good football. And Tyler Wallace is still a absolute beast on the outside. Yeah, quarterback Sanders is a year older than uh, Rattler. The running back, I mean, I give it – to OSU with the edge with Chuba Hubbard and um, I forgot who's their backup. Um, LD Brown. King? Huh? LD Brown. LD Brown, yeah. yeah. Brown, LD Brown play, it runs the ball really well as a backup. OU's backup, I know nothing of, I mean, I'm not a fan of either guy. I'm not a fan of Pledger. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of McGowan. I don't think, I don't think he's ready yet as a, as a college running back. You just seen it from games that he's played in. I mean, he's a good change of pace, catch the ball to the backfield, but not a consistent runner downhill. Pledger's a good change of pace running back, but it's not something you want a steady dose of. But Ramondre Stevenson, I think, is the clear-cut number one. For sure, for sure. Is it fair to say that Oklahoma is trending in a better direction, I guess, going into this game than Oklahoma State? Because I feel like Oklahoma over the last few weeks has gotten better, whereas I feel like I've been more and more disappointed with Oklahoma State the last few weeks entering this game. I think they have trended in the right direction. I mean, they're 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 getting better, no doubt. I mean, 
after uh, the few games, after the Iowa State, the K-State game, I mean, they've, I mean, they showed their struggles early, um, but they are trending in the right direction. Um, offensively, they're still not on, they're still not on the same page offensively. Um, I don't know who they want to be offensively. I think offensively they have too many weapons at wide receiver that they pretty much outcoach themselves in a lot of situations or outdo themselves in a lot of situations when the game is very simple to them. A game against, like I said, a game against KU, you could have dominated the whole entire game, run the ball, and then figure out the throwing as you go instead of force it. I think they force throws when they don't have to force throws. And it's been a, cha- like, it's been a change in what Lincoln Riley does. If you if you watch a lot of his play calling and you go back to what he used to call and how he used to call plays, <clears throat> they look a whole lot different. I mean, passing wise, it's like they want to pass it so much more because of all the weapons they have. And it, it looked a little disheveled, a little jumbled up early, but with Ramondre Stevenson being back, I think they'll lean a little bit more to the run game because of how good he is and how well he plays and all the things that he can and can't do. Um, and, and I think he makes the offensive line better as a running back. People don't want to tackle him. People are not coming up full he speed. He is to a tackle. load. People came up full speed to tackle Pledger. I want all of it. People came up full speed to tackle McGowan. They were a want. I want all of it, everything and anything that he's going to bring. And K State brought hat to him. The safety came up with no problem, and you know was hitting him. So with a guy like Ramondre, I think it opens up the offense a lot more and it makes OU dangerous and it's going to be hard for OSU to beat him because you don't have the first half of the season OU and now last game OU is two totally different teams, two totally different mentalities, run-wise and pass-wise. You mentioned the offense looking different. This is the impression I've had all year long, so tell me your thoughts on, on this idea I feel like there's not a lot of trust with Lincoln Riley in this offense right now, and there have been multiple times this year where I felt like he's been more conservative than ever. Part of that, I wonder how much is is the offensive line and just not being the dominant group that we've seen throughout his time in Norman. And then I wonder how much of that is just maybe the fear of Spencer Rattler making the wrong play, turning the ball over, and putting yourself in a bad situation. Well, he puts the ball in his hands in some crazy, crazy times. Um, I think... The trust, him not, he not trusting his offensive line puts the pressure on him. So he's a quarterback at heart and he puts the pressure on his quarterback. And the games where he forced Spencer Rattler to be the guy and make the decisions and all that stuff, he paid a price for. So he's in between the two. Um, but at that point in time, he also wasn't full strength as a, as a team. You right. don't have Ramondre Stevenson. You're playing with a f- true freshman running back. You're playing with Pledger, who's a smaller running back, who can't. I mean, he's a, like I said, he's a good change of pace car- running back, but he's always doing some kind of somersault, backflip anytime he gets hit. The guy flips in the air two or three times a game. But he's a hard runner, but he's just, he's not that home run guy. Ramondre Stevenson comes in, you start seeing chunk yards, 25, 30-yard runs. You start seeing 15, 10, 15, 20. You know, you start seeing those yards and averaging nine yards the whole entire game. That's pretty damn phenomenal. He's almost averaging a first down uh, every play. So with that happening, I think that settles Lincoln Riley's play calling down a lot more. Um, I would have, watching the KU game, I couldn't believe they brought Spencer Rattler back in after halftime. I was kind of like shocking. 
holy crap, what are we doing here? I don't, I didn't, I didn't understand it, didn't get it, but hey, he's the head coach. He makes the calls on what he what he wants to do. But I was kind of shocked. He came back in the game and he couldn't throw the ball. And with him doing that, some of the balls he threw floated. And whenever Austin Stogner got hit in the middle of the field, he couldn't drive the ball to uh, right. to Stogner, and he couldn't protect himself. And any person that's watching the game. It was like, oh, that's a great catch by him. He only took a big hit. But if you watch the quarterback, the, the QB was late on the throw and he couldn't drive the ball because he couldn't turn his hips. And so that put him in an awkward situation because the ball was up in the air. And as a receiver, you're going to go and go for the ball. And it puts him in a bad situation. And I, I thought he did. He floated a few balls out there later on in the game. And those things did not have to happen as a for, for those players. But it was shocking to me that he came back out. I understand he wants to tough it through. I understand you say, hey, it's just a hip bruise. Well, if it's a bruise, there's no need to put them out there. And KU was the nicest team ever because they did not blitz him. They did not play the men close, and they did not blitz Spencer Rattler. So Spencer Rattler couldn't – I would have blitzed the absolute hell out of him. He would have been peeing blood after he played against me in the second half. I would have blitzed him until Coach took his guy out. I would have pummeled him because that's what you you do. You have a mean streak and you can see – that guy could not move. He could not protect himself. That's why I, I love would, you, though. That mentality is why I love you. Yeah, out about the house. <laughs> I'm hitting him every play. Late, everything. Yeah. I'm pushing him down to the ground. Yeah. Um, you, mentioned, you, want to get back up. you mentioned Austin Stogner. Like, sometimes it's just mind-blowing that he's not a bigger part of the offense, and I know they want to spread the ball out, and I know they want to be unpredictable offensively. But, like, sometimes in football, it's just as simple as having a matchup advantage. And we see this with Oklahoma's defense all the time. How many times do you see an opponent recognize that they have an advantage over Buki, and so they just start hammering the advantage? Same thing with Oklahoma offensively. Like, there are a lot of games where I feel like they have such a massive advantage with Austin Stogner. Like, just go take advantage of it. Go hammer that and make a defense adjust to that. But, again, it's, it's almost like they just, like, they're saving it or... They're just so dead set on spreading the ball around and and kind of being unpredictable that that they don't want to they don't want to feature maybe Austin Stogner in an offense like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean Austin Stogner's kind of been he's been catching the ball here a little bit more lately. Uh, he's definitely a weapon in the red zone. He's he's spreading the fill out, so he's going to be a problem here a little bit later. Um, I think that also comes with your QB as well. Yeah. Um, you know that guy making a decision to find that person. You didn't have to tell Baker Mayfield to find Mark Andrews. I mean, he just found him whenever he had, whenever he needed a big play, he knew which side to look to and which two guys were there. Right now, it seems like it's Mims and it's Stogner. If you want a big play, you go to those two guys. Um, I think last game, they tried to force some plays to Hazelwood, which, you know, you want, he's coming back off of knee injury. He's this big, highly touted wide receiver. So you want to get him some a ball or two or here or there. Uh, and he forced some of the throws there. And I, and I was sitting in the stands watching the game. I'm like, oh, Jalen uh, Hazel was in. Oh, they're going to try to throw the ball to him. And you sure enough, he rolls out, try to look and find him. And it's, I mean, I think the other team knew it as well. Yeah. But with Stogner, Stogner is a good mix of speed. He's He can outrun most linebackers. And he makes them hard to defend. He's a big target. Um He's solid. He's steady. Um, he has great hands, um, and he runs routes like a wide receiver. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's amazing to see. Um, and he also allows you to play 
um, without changing your personnel as much. Uh, and that's a good thing. You know, um, Hall has also been a part about of this offense that's been really good also. I think Incredibly underrated. Yeah, and, and I think their offense, because they have all those wide receiver weapons, they kind of put Hall on the back burner sometimes. Whenever, whenever he's in the game, their offense is very productive when he's in the game. And he and uh, he and Stogner run great routes, so they hard to defend. It's hard for linebackers to match up against those guys because of how creative Lincoln Riley's offense is with the RPO run pass options and the the fullback going. They check in the, the linebacker once he goes downhill, he pops up for a pass. Yeah, he has so many small intricate things about his offense. And it's kind of astonishing sometimes when he goes away from all the stuff. It kind of surprises me sometimes when he goes away from stuff. It's like, why the hell didn't he keep doing that? It looks awesome. It looked unstoppable with that. And then next thing you know, they come out, they're in three wide. Like, what the hell happened? Yeah. So it's kind of it's, it's funny to see, but he, he's just – he has a lot of weapons, and he's recruited well. I think Oklahoma I State – I, I wouldn't want to be him right now, you know, just trying to feed the ball to everybody. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and look, it's a good problem to have, but I, I just think sometimes you just have to take the advantage you have and every single play almost, there is an advantage with Austin Stogner. And, and it obviously yeah. depends on what the defense is doing. But to me, that would be the first place I would look almost every time. And, and I think when you factor yeah. in how many guys have dropped footballs this year, that to me points even more to Austin Stogner. I mean, I know he's not been yeah. perfect either, but we've seen everybody drop touchdown passes this year. Yeah, you know, Mims had a few of them, but Mims a young kid. He's a young guy. Uh, Rambo has not been – he has not stepped up to the plate like he thought he would have uh, would have this year so far, uh, which is a little worrisome. Um, Theo Weiss has been up and down. He has had an up and down season. I mean, you, you look, he's a great possession receiver. He runs great routes, but he's also inconsistent. He has some major drops in the end zones. Uh, in some games where he had the ball in his hand and he's supposed to catch it and he didn't catch it. So they've all had their opportunities to drop the ball. Um, but little Stoops, Drake Stoops is playing well as well. Also, he's getting there, getting open, getting some shots and stuff. So that's kind of been pretty good. I mean, they have serious depth at yeah. wide receiver. But how do you keep all these guys happy? And I think that's what's the struggle in a transfer portal type world. When you ain't getting yeah. the shots and you ain't getting the ball whenever you need it, who becomes the man? I mean, you had no doubt that CeeDee Lamb was the alpha male last year. And nobody blinked an eye. Well, now, who's that alpha guy as a, at a wide receiver? I know you want to spread the ball all over the place, but there's always got to be some go, go-to guy. Yeah. Stockner would be it for me. Yeah, Stockner would be it for me as well. Um, Mims, Mims is going to be a guy. Is going to be a dude unless Jay, unless Hazelwood can come in there and just totally take over where Rambo's at, yeah. in which they're not really using Rambo much. He didn't play much this last game, so I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see it. I'm intrigued. There's yeah. a lot of there's other guys coming in. Like holy crap! Like what are they going to do with all these weapons? Yeah, who's going to transfer? My thing is who's going to transfer first. That's what I'm waiting. You could to see. be right. You could be right. I, I I think Mims is going to be one of those guys that when he leaves Oklahoma, he's going to be in the in the top few spots of probably every receiving record there is. I mean, that's that's the kind of talent he already has. And when you see the production already there this early in his career, I mean, barring again missing games or getting hurt somewhere along the way and and not being able to be on the football field, I, he's going to put up stupid career numbers. Yeah. 
Because he's about to break what I think was he tied with Mark Clayton right now. Something about touchdowns or something. Probably. He's tied. Yeah. yeah, he's tied right now for a freshman with touchdown as a freshman, whatever. Yeah, it's insane. So it's pretty damn good. It's insane. Freaking um, guy. I'm I'm one of those people that thinks Oklahoma State's defense is really good. I I think that in all three levels they are they maybe even if nothing else they're not bad in any level. I think they're really they've been real Oklahoma State. Yeah. Especially in the secondary, you know, with Rodarius Williams and and the two safeties. I think those those guys have been. Uh, all amount, all American caliber players. They're very aggressive. They're gonna send pressure. My biggest thing in this game for Oklahoma's offense is, I think, on Spencer Rattler and him just being smart with the football and understanding that they are going to take chances defensively. They're going to blitz you. They're going to apply pressure, and there are going to be situations where they get to him. And I think as long as he doesn't force the issue in those situations and turn the ball over, like if he understands that sometimes he's just going to have to take a sack or throw the ball away and live to play another down, the big plays are going to be there. And I think that that sets up for Oklahoma to, to potentially have a big day offensively. But that to me is kind of the X factor with Oklahoma facing a really talented defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, you know, I like the OSU defense. The OSU defense plays really well. They play hard. They play fast. They're physical. They're going to blitz you. They're not going to sit back there and take it on the chin. Um, which will be fun to watch. But yeah. if Oklahoma's offensive line can get the run game going, then, you know, you slow down the blitz and you slow down when you come because if you go ahead and you miss one of those gaps when you're blitzing, it's pretty much the ball is on the secondary right now. A guy like with Madre Stevenson in your secondary is not something that I want a steady dose of or a steady appetite diet yeah. of because it's a beast big guy. Stiff arming and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not, I'm not about that life. And if I'm a DB, like, hey, look, coach, come on now, you know. So um, you got that situation. Um, but also, you look at OSU's defense. You shouldn't change anything coming in playing against Oklahoma because what Oklahoma has done uh, shouldn't frighten you as much uh, as much as say, a hey, Iowa State did or K State did. So they should come in and play good football and play. Who to who they are, play to their strengths. And if they don't, that's on them. They If they change stuff around just for this game, that's wrong um, on that coach's part. he got to stay steady to what he's doing and hope. And if it comes out they win, they win. Yeah, you made a great point with Ramondre Stevenson because another part of the Oklahoma State defense, I think, that gets a lot of credit is how well they tackle in space. And, I mean, that's, that's a different animal than anything they faced as far as getting to that second and third level. Yeah, and Oklahoma, um, receiver-wise, has blocked very well on the second level. They they do a yeah. good job at getting in front of DBs and blocking guys on the second level. So they're going to have to worry about that. Mims for a young guy, he'll get out there and get his hands on people. So this is good. If if, if Charleston Rambo's out there, I mean, he's not going to touch much, not too many people. But Theo Weiss is a strong blocker out there. Stogner will be good in the, in the open field trying to block guys. So they can't go to sleep and think that, well, we in the open field and there's not a receiver coming to block because those receivers hustle their butt down the field and they do a great job coming and blocking. So it should be it should be fun and exciting defensively. I think this is the first time in a while we're saying the defenses are the better parts of both teams. Yeah. I think OU's defense is better, is further along now, now that you have Ronnie Perkins back, and they're more to full strength. I mean, Isaiah Thomas has been a huge surprise, a huge success for those guys. Winfrey has played really well. Aguebu has done a great job at a middle linebacker. Deshaun White has done a good job at middle linebacker. 
Asamoah is one of those ones that one of those linebackers they can take advantage of in the pass coverage. If I'm OSU, he doesn't play very well in open space. He's a great blitzer, good in, instinctual player, but he's very bad in pass coverage. He does not block. He does not cover very well. So you can get some passes on. Uh, secondary wise, I think Trey Norwood settles the whole entire secondary down. He's been playing some good football. He think he's an interception leader on that team. Um, Woody Washington has done a great job on the other side as well, playing some corner, as well as uh, Jaden Davis. So you looking at OU's secondary, they're coming around and doing pretty good. Um, Fields is very worrisome. He's haven't been playing very well. He's missed tackles in the open field. Buki's been the same person, has flashes of good stuff, and then he has flashes of a lot of bad. So it's never been consistent with him. Like the most bookie play, the most bookie isk play that you can ever have is an interception fumble back to the <laughs> other team. Right. That's like wow. You know, you kind of he he plays up and down. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Cradell's got in the game. He's done uh, he's done good, decent when he's been in. So they have guys. They have guys, and you can. It's nothing better than the bench to in to stir up competition and to get guys' attention. The bench will get your attention better than any bad play you make on the field. I really like the way the defensive line was trending before Perkins got there, and obviously you add him to the mix, and he's probably their best defensive player, period. But yeah. when you look at Winfrey and Isaiah Thomas and the way they played early and Nick Benito's emergence as the season has gone on, and then you add Perkins as the final piece to that group, they've been dominant the last few weeks. And, and I think that makes everything behind them significantly better. I still think there are big plays to be made. If you prevent that defensive line from dominating the line of scrimmage, I still think you can hit Oklahoma's uh, back seven for big plays. But mm -hmm. th the big question is, can you prevent them from being dominant? Because they've done that since the Texas game, really, Rufus. And, and some people would say TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas, none of those teams are any good. You should have dominated them. We've seen Oklahoma's defenses play bad offenses for years and not dominate. So I do think the defensive line is really good. Are, are you cautious at all as far as how much credit you want to give them considering the level of competition in the last three games? Um, yeah, I am cautious. I mean, I am a, a bit cautious of giving them a lot of credit because they you've given them credit and they come back and they, they freaking bite you in the butt. But... Um, Looking at what OU's, the way they played, it's the fashion in which they played defense, the tenacity and how they've gotten to the backfield and stuff against people. So I'm still going to give them credit for what they've done. Um, but you, you look at the way they're playing when Ronnie Perkins came back, yeah. that's a totally different type of style of play. And you, you're seeing less movement on the defensive line. I think you move in slant whenever you don't physically think you can whoop somebody. But having Isaiah Thomas, one at one point in the game, they had Isaiah Thomas, Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito, and somebody else on the field. Like a, pa a true Perry on pass Winfrey, maybe? Rushing. Huh? Perry on Winfrey? Yeah, it was Perry on Winfrey. Okay. Yeah. And they had a true pass rush defense out there. Yeah. And it was hard to stop. You can, and, it's, and I mean, again, you put Stripling out there, other guys that just, you know, just all about speed and getting to the quarterback. It's going to be hard to beat that, especially to get you in third and long. Ronnie Perkins is really good in the run game as well. So they, you don't have, you have, you don't have to say I have this one side of the defensive line, so I have to play to this because 
You can also go heavy and put Isaiah Thomas on one defensive end, Ronnie Perkins on another, Winfrey Edison in the middle. And you got a good, solid defensive line that's of old traditional defensive line. A big 300-pound middle guy, you have a three technique, and you got two defensive ends that can absolutely rush the passer. And then you can go Benito with a stand-up guy, and he rushes the passer pretty well. You can add Strickland in there, and he can rush the passer very well. So, you know, you got Gaines kind of catching his his momentum a little bit. So they have a lot of kids that can play now and have big body types that's coming out there and playing on the field. So that's really good. The linebacker situation, um, I'm not a big fan of the rotating of the linebackers. I think David Aguebu moved to a middle linebacker. You have your ups and downs with it, but he's consistently gotten better. I think Deshaun White being out there on the field has been really good for him. He's played some good football. Um, after that, I don't see why you use the other linebackers whenever you, you're playing four down linemen and two linebackers and you're using the nickel a lot of the times. I'm not rotating guys. I mean, for what reason? Um, but, you know, you say, the, you say you want to keep guys fresh, but if you look at the game now, the play count is very low. It's not a very high-octane, high-paced football game. So the changing of linebackers has kind of been odd to me. Yeah. Secondary-wise, I think they're doing what they got to do. They're matching personnel, and they're playing well. As far as Oklahoma State's offensive line, this is where I think there's the biggest gap in the game, and this is where I, I lean Oklahoma winning the game. I, I just I have a hard time seeing where Oklahoma State consistently is able to prevent Oklahoma's front group to you know from dominating that battle. Like that's where I see this game being the the biggest mismatch, and that's where I have a hard time just seeing over the course of four quarters Oklahoma State being able yeah. to to stay keep pace, I guess. Yeah, you know, they they having a hard time getting Chuba Hubbard going, don't yeah. you get you see that? Like yeah. man, uh and And they and they've, the they've got one, a ton of injuries on the offensive line, which is a which, given. I mean that's that's the reason they're struggling so much, but I mean that the bottom line is they are struggling there. Yeah, they're struggling there. And I mean they they've gotten they had some hard time getting them going. Even before, you know, you had all the injuries. Right. They still had a tough time getting them going in the first few games and people kind of crowd the line of scrimmage and you know, it's only so much that Chuba Hubbard could do as far as getting to the second level and stuff. So he's had his limitations in certain games, but they had also had games where Brown ran the ball better than he has. For in sure. the same game. For you sure. know, he has hit the hole a lot better. He has gotten more yards than he's gotten earlier on in the game. And it's kind of you kind of say, like, well, why is he gaining yards and doing all this and that stuff? Well, because people are gonna pay attention when Hubbard's in the backfield and they're gonna block in on him a little bit more. Um, I think the game is gonna go on uh, it's gonna rest on on uh Sanders' shoulders. I mean, it's gonna be up to him to use his feet and get on the edge and get in one-on-one situations with the not-so-great tacklers for Oklahoma, which is the secondary. Uh, and that's going to be on him to get out in the secondary. I think they're going to focus in and get the ball out of out of Hubbard's hand as much as they can and make the quarterback make a lot of decisions. Um, the last game showed that you put more decision-making on his hands, he's going to make a few mistakes here or there, and then that's what you want. Um, so, But it's going to be up to him to use his feet and make some of the secondary miss and pick up timely first downs. Uh, so that will give OSU a chance if their quarterback can make a few of the adjustments and use his feet and help the offensive line out and be that extra guy that nobody accounts for. 
I asked this question early in the week, and I've had a lot of differing opinions on this, but in your mind, who, who feels the pressure to win this game more on Saturday? Oof. Gundy feels the pressure more to win this game. Um, I agree with you. For one, he hadn't beat, he hasn't beaten OU in a long time. Uh, and barring last week, I mean, he was, they were the team, you know, coming up, getting into what, they were in the top 10? Yeah. I believe. Yeah, they were in the top 10, and then you have a, a meltdown, and, you know, things don't work out for you, and therefore now you're in this situation, and you get, you need a bounce-back game. You, you don't need to go where you, you where they're going to be this. If they lose this game, that's two in a row. Well, they, they bounced back and beat Kansas State after the Texas loss, Kansas but it State. was, I mean, that yeah. was a game where, I think a lot of Oklahoma State fans walked away from that feeling maybe even worse about yeah, where their team was because you thought that was supposed to be the bounce-back game from Texas, and th there yeah, were a lot of areas, especially offensively, where they struggled. Yeah, because K-State was winning that game, most of it, but I was sitting there watching the KU game, which I should have been at, been somewhere <laughs> watching the OSU game on TV after watching. I can't believe I sat there and watched oh, that. brutal. Anyway, that game was over. I mean, the dang first half took three damn hours to go through. But um, the watch, reviews, uh, man, what the hell? The reviews, they got to stop. It's insane. Bad. Oh, my gosh. But watching uh, but OSU against K-State, you know, um, I was I watched little bits and parts of it. And they had a K-State guy next to me. He was talking about watching the game as well. But, you know, for OSU, you got to fix some of those problems. But that's a tough road right there. You're talking about playing a physical Texas game, Texas team playing a physical K-State team and having a bye week and now playing a physical OU team. So the good thing is they have a little rest. They had a little rest in the middle <laughs> so they can get their bodies back a little bit and get their feet back under them a little bit so they can be fresher. Yeah. But um, hopefully Gundy can correct some of those mistakes and uh, defensively and offensively they can come together and put some stuff together and play better, play a better game. But I I'm, I'm with you, um, you know, there's some problems that's there with OSU, but let's see. How, I want to see how they play after having a bye and being able to self scout and figure out what works for their work, what works for them, and hopefully Gundy can, you know, alleviate some of the pressure that's on them. Uh, hopefully, you don't beat the Sooners because I'm a Sooner, but you know, um, but a lot of pressure, more pressures on him than it is on. Uh, on Spencer Rattler and, and Lincoln Riley because he has a second-year quarterback. He has supposedly one of the best wide receivers in the country, and he has one of the best running backs in the country. So And probably the has, best defense in school history, right? Yeah, best defense in school history. So he got two of the best players in the country. Uh, so playing against an OU team that's been giving up points to everybody in the past, and now their defense is all of a sudden emerging. emerging. So... Let's see what you got, Gundy. I, I want to see it. I want to see a good old Duke come out fight. Defensive struggle. I want to see a 7-7 game coming down <laughs> water and people punching each other in the mouth. That's what I want to see. I want to see some absolute good defense. And then I, I'm excited to watch it and see who punches who in the mouth and who responds from each one. I, I'm sure that there are very few people watching this right now that, that want to see a 7-7 football game. 7-7, seven, seven, baby, just do it out. <laughs> I want to see somebody just punching with it the, out. With baby. the final possession to win it, right? 7-7 seven, seven with one possession left to final win it. Final possession where... to win it All to right. see which quarterback's going to get it done. Yeah. Well, look, again, I think um, this is this is your type of game, man. I, I think going into it, you feel like both defenses have the 
advantage in their matchup. And, and like I said, I think the biggest issue here for me is I think over the course of four quarters that Oklahoma State defense is going to have to be on the field a lot. And my, I just think over the, you know, down the stretch of the third and maybe into the fourth, that's where they, they start wearing down, and, and that's where I see the difference. But uh, you know, watch me go in, we go in this game. It's going to be an offensive explosion. Like, going to be like 40-something points in the first half, both teams. Like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. It'll piss me off, too. Right. It'll make me so mad. <laughs> well, every time we talk about it being like a 50-50 game, then neither team can move the football. So that's just kind of the way things seem to set up. Yeah. They so, just want to give you the big middle finger and be like, nope, you thought you knew what you were talking uh, about. But the, the cool thing about it is that OSU has a good defense this year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. OU's defense has now started trending in the upward, uh, upward trajectory, and they're playing better once the addition of Parker. Um, uh, I mean, Perkins, I said Park, Perkins. So that's, I mean, that's a, that's a huge plus in a defensive battle game where two is offenses are very explosive and now defenses have to respond. This is the first, it's maybe the first explosive offense that they play since having Perkins back. Yeah. I mean, if you, here's the thing. I don't know. They have the capability of being explosive to me. It, it maybe seems a little bit of a stretch to say they're explosive. I mean, they, they average 28 points a game. They rank 66th in the country in scoring offense. They're struggling. Yeah. They're struggling offensively. Now, do they have firepower, and do they have a bunch of really good playmakers? Absolutely. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic because they're capable of, I think, much better than we've seen for the last month. But the numbers and what we're watching every week say that they're not very good right now. So... That's right. that's why it's such an interesting dynamic, I think, with the, with the Oklahoma State offense. Okay, yeah, I, now I agree with you on that. They have they have struggled to get into the end zone, but man, you kind of look at OSU and you look at them. And you say you name all the players they have, yeah. and you would think, man, they're offensively right. they're how they are a powerhouse offensively, and then coming from, they only scoring twenty eight points. Well, what the yeah. hell is going on? Um, so, like you said, offensive line injuries, and I think Wallace getting back into a groove after coming off the ACL injury, and just the way practices is going and the way the season and the off season has gone too is another situation that you have to kind of think about also, but man, now you're in the thick of it and I just, I, I can't wait to see the game. Um, but I wonder how does it play now since now the big 10 is in it. The PAC 12 is now in it. The SEC, ACC, how is this college playoffs going to run? I don't, I don't think a big 12 I, team gets in. Yeah, I don't either. Um, Barring some sort of just complete collapse from, from I think, multiple teams. I don't know how you realistically make that argument. And look, I thought the Big 12 was in a hole out of the gate because that first week when they played their one non-conference week, like half the league lost to non-Power 5 teams. And so immediately, yeah. I think in the minds of everybody across the country, like the Big 12 was eliminated if you didn't have a known undefeated conference champion. I'm glad I look. I'm I'm one of the ones I'm like, you know what, after watching those play in the beginning, said, you know what, I don't think they want no parts of a Clemson and Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame. They don't want no parts of any of those teams because I don't just don't think they're ready to play those guys yet. Yeah. I don't think both sides of the ball they're ready to play those guys yet. Yeah. Maybe next year, but this year, not so much. Yeah. When you look at <laughs> when you look at defense is improving in this league I think a lot of it is just the shift in what we've seen offensively basically across the league I mean more teams are using 
bigger and heavier personnel packages over the course of four quarters. Nobody's running the same tempo and pace offenses that we saw five and ten years ago. I mean, it's a it's a much slower, bigger. It's still a spread, but it's it's not the five wide. Let's try and snap the ball in three seconds and throw the ball eighty times a game that that we experienced for a long period of time. I mean, there's been a big shift in the way offenses are run in this league. Yes, and that's and that's been the change. And I think you're starting to see that change affecting recruiting also. Uh, it's affecting the recruiting of Oklahoma. They're now are able to go and get the guys that can get back there and get sacks. They're going to be able to get the bigger bodies. Um, you you look at the like you said the trend of the league. I mean, I think OSU is the only one that kind of once they make a first down or something, they speed up to the line and, and still kind of run a quick play here or there. But the tempo offense is not as hyperactive as they was before. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I hated it. I, I mean, like I said, I would have started coaching my guys. I'd had a defensive lineman go down every other play to really just slow the game all the way down and piss everybody off. I'd have did it every game. Yeah. Until they, they I mean, you can't tell me not to get a guy cramping or whatever. But and everybody would say that's a black eye on the game. No, it's not. Uh, but it's it's so funny to watch the game change and go from up tempo to now slow down offense and defense. Um, defensively, I think it gives the other coaches a little bit of advantage because you kind of get to see what's coming up and what's lining up. And, and you see K-State and you see uh, the Iowa States and you see Oklahoma State. So it's going to bring back the traditional powers of of the Big 12 and, and get other kids down in here. I think Iowa State's done a heck of a job recruiting. Uh, they play a good power style of football. I think the coaching in the Big 12 has been raised in how they coach and what they're teaching kids. So um, barring KU, everybody else is up their level as far as coaching-wise, playing-wise, and the attention to detail their guys are playing with. And I think it's going to get better over the years. I think year over year, it's going to get better. It's going to get become more consistent. People are going to start to hate to play against the Big 12. And the ULLs will probably stop being the teams that come and sneak up on a K-State because they're going to come out and get like, holy crap, that's K-State. Like the K-State of old that used to just punch you in the mouth over and over and over again. So uh, I think that's the mentality you're going to have to develop for the rest of the league. And I think OSU has been running the ball a lot more. OU has been running the ball a lot more. And Lincoln Riley started that trend, what, what was it, two years ago, three years ago, yeah. with the Samaj P. Yeah. Ron, Joe Mixon. They ran the hell out of the ball. They were like 50 or 60% run opposed to pass. I think it was 54, 55% run. Uh, and the passes on the other side, they made a ton of big plays passing, but they were heavy, heavy, heavy run. So – uh, I think Lincoln Riley was a big cause of that, and you thought he was going to be super air raid, and he has never—he's never been like very much air raid like a uh, Mike Le like a leech offense. Right. He has been more power run game, a little bit of tempo, not a lot, line up and kind of figure out what play you're going to run and be perfect in what you put your plays in, and go at, go from there and let your talent do the work. I mean, that's why Oklahoma's been so good. They have they've always had, since Lincoln Riley's been here, they've always had balance offensively. Even though they've had Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks and Heisman finalist quarterbacks, they've been able to run the football since Lincoln Riley has been there, and that's why they're so hard to defend. You can't sell out to stop the run. You can't sell out to stop the, the pass. They can keep you off balance, and, and they're going to stretch you from sideline to sideline and all the way to the end zone, but they'll, you know, they have no problem running the ball six times in a row either. 
Right. And that's been all, that's been refreshing though. Yeah. And it's been For refreshing. Sure. I love it. it. And I think the whole league has changed to that style of play also. If you just, you just go ahead and look at the league. Let's transition into your favorite Bedlam memories. Ooh. My favorite Bedlam memory is the letter rip game. Oh man, that is my favorite one. Uh Les Miles in the interview before and the letter rip. <laughs> that may be my favorite battle of memory. I didn't I didn't play in that game. Um, but it was just, you know, I remember after the interview and Mike Stoops and those coaches came in the locker room and they went absolutely <laughs> nuts in that locker room. I mean, you heard cussing and you seen the intensity and the coaches and all that stuff. And you like, these MF, these beep, 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 think that they blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was on. I mean, I think it started from earlier in that week. Um, so it, it was a it was a fun experience. And that may have been one of my fondest memories because, you know, guys like Gayron Allen was playing. And, and Gayron was a guy that, I mean, he taught me how to play the game, how to play linebacker and to watch him go out there and succeed in that game and be so successful. And now, I mean, made stops on the one-yard line, yeah. gave it to the big fullback, and they stopped him on the one-yard line. I remember till this day how whenever we woke up, it was a gray mist on the day. It was a misty, more, like a misty day whenever before that game started. And it just seemed like it was like smoky in the air whenever we got to the stadium. And it was just kind of like a drizzly, rainy, just misty day. And it was dreary, and I remember I was waking up, and I mean, I remember guys waking up that morning and screaming down the hall and, like, was just ready to go from, like, the time we woke up until the time we walked on that field. It was no hose bar. Dan Cody was an absolute maniac before that game. And in the locker room and watching the game and, and, and feeling the intensity of the game taught me a lot about where I wanted to be as a player as far as playing college football and what kind of intensity and focus I need to have playing the game. And so a lot, my lesson came from, and my memory came from learning what it meant, this rivalry meant, um, paying attention to detail meant, and the intensity you need to have to play in a game of such importance and what it means to each guy. Uh, uh, that taught me a lot more than any game that I played in against OSU was the the game where I was on the bench watching other guys go do it and focus in and lock in and play a game. What do you say to the people that that say this isn't a rivalry? Oklahoma, obviously, with the record 89-18-7, it's been complete dominance. But, uh, I mean, what do you say when somebody says this isn't a rivalry? When you play against somebody in your own state, it is. Because the person that ends up winning in that in that state, they will not let you live it down until next year. You can tell them, you can say whatever you want about, oh, we did this, oh, we did that. Yeah, but this year we won. Uh, I mean, you, you can look at it. it is, you can't erase, you can't erase a win, you can't erase a loss. And that whole year you got to live with that. It, it sucks. I mean, you don't want to live through these guys talking to you every day about, oh, y'all thought y'all was hot, this and this and that. And now they can consider themselves as the dominant force this year. And, you know, they're going to make every every analogy, everything they can say about how good they are, how much better they are now and all this and that stuff. So 
the losing part of it is is not it's not about the rivalry part of it. It's about what you have to live with. And you live in a place where it's red and orange. And so orange gets a brag for a year. It's all about bragging for a year. Yeah. And they and OSU fans, they forget about every single last loss when they lose. And right. when they win, right. they remember only the win that year. They don't remember the years of getting beat. They don't remember the years of not winning a Big 12 championship. All they remember is they beat you that year. And that's all that matters, and that's how you know it's a rivalry because of that. If you can forget every loss that you had to a team and always remember that one win, that one year, and all you're trying to do is put another win on top of it. And that's what they're going to try to do if they win. But they will not let you live down. If you lose, if you lose to them, they won't. It, it means it's the end of it, and it's going to suck for a whole entire year. Yeah, especially in a year like this, right? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we can have every excuse in the book. Oh, it was COVID year. Oh, this guy opted out. Well, the time that y'all win right now, we had this. It ain't going to matter. You could have said, well, they had like a 40-something-year-old quarterback in Wheaton or whatever, and blah, 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 blah. They – they won, and you get to brag about it to your friends, and you get to talk trash. And that's the best part about trash talking and playing in town with another big time university in your state. It's it's good it's good to talk trash. It's the same thing. You're so close to Texas, you get to talk trash across the borders and stuff. And there's so many Texas people that live here, so many OU people that live in Texas. So it's fun to have that camaraderie and that battle. All right, I asked you about this a few years ago, so. We've talked about it, but I don't know how many people remember this or not. Somebody tweeted me earlier today, though, and asked about the Dewan Hig- uh, the, the the Dewan Woods hit on you in Bedlam. Yeah, that, but it wasn't even a hard it wasn't a hard hit. Like something he would probably get flagged for that. I'd be like, why the hell he get flagged for? Because it wasn't really. It's just that he caught me by surprise. I turned, he was right there. He clipped me on the shoulder. I got up, played the rest of the game. It wasn't no big thing. I mean, even though I told him I was going to get him back in the game, he, <laughs> he avoided me the rest of the game. But, I mean, we've me and, me and, the, uh, me and the mom, we talked after it. Uh, you know, and it's like, that was a good hit, man. You know, was, I was like, you could have really got me, though. I mean, I was like, you could have really kind of put me out if you really wanted to. And he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I could have. I was like, yeah. So, you know, we kind of joked about it because he yeah. could have really taken me out. He didn't really – unload on me unload on me he just kind of caught my shoulder pad he got and, i mean on uh, video it he huh? got you good it's a it's a highlight for sure but to your point yeah, yeah i mean it, it could have been devastating yeah it could have been devastating he could have taken me out and the thing and what i say when i've been telling people i mean it wasn't even like it was a hard hit it was like when i turned he was like he was right there and my legs came from under me right when he hit me on the shoulder <laughs> and he hit me on the shoulder pad he didn't hit me in the head or anything which, if it was me, I'd have hit him in the head or something. Right. But he hit me right on the shoulder pad, and I mean, it just was a clean <laughs> shot, and it was good hit. Got up, kept on moving. That was the, I think that was the first time, maybe in the first or second time I've been kind of caught with a blindside hit. But uh, it was a good hit. I mean, I took it out on his brother though later on in the game, <laughs> a few times on the sideline and different stuff. So. It's all good. You know, we still yeah. won in the end, but man, good hit by him, though. Good yeah. dude, though. I think I said the last time we talked about this that if that had been the other way around, you would have tried to separate his torso from his legs. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> uh, glad he went, he took it light on me that day. <laughs> 
Oh, it's great, man. It's <laughs> well, so great. I can't say I would have. I would have. It would have been the, the other way around. Right. It was not going to be that nice. Right. No doubt. Well, that's. I mean, that's why you're a linebacker, right? You have that mentality. Yeah. And I think he was trying to conserve his body or whatever because he you know, like, if you throw his body into something like that, you know, it's kind of you putting your body on the line. I guess I didn't didn't have that kind of understanding. You. Guess why they play wide receivers? They're a little <laughs> bit smarter in their thinking. <laughs> I'm going to hit you in a certain spot. It's going to look bad, but it ain't going to be that bad. Yeah, I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about the moment. Yeah, I'm thinking about, hey, if I'm annihilate this guy, where do I have to hit him to just really annihilate him? There you go. Yeah, it's all the way through his sternum. Yep, there you go. There you go. All right, you ready for some Blinken Riley bedlam facts? Let's go. All right, here we go. So Blinken Riley on Twitter at Blinken Riley. Um, by the way, I think he's probably posted about 300 of these on Twitter already today. So I, I told him to give me some of his best. So he sent these over earlier today. I, I've got them recorded by Blinken Riley himself. So these are Blinken Riley's Bedlam Friday facts. Number of events at Boone Pickens Stadium since 2003. Bedlam victories, one. Dedication ceremonies naming the stadium Boone Pickens Stadium. <laughs> so more ceremonies what? naming the stadium Boone Pickens Stadium than Bedlam wins inside said stadium. Oh my God, that's his only this guy right here. All right, here's Blink and Riley, Bedlam fact number two. If an Oklahoma State fan started walking from Stillwater after Bedlam 1945 at a leisurely two miles per hour, he could have walked to the equator, then around the earth ten times, then back to Stillwater, and he still would have had to wait five years before OSU's next Bedlam win. <laughs> Oh, the the casual the casual delivery of these cracks me up. Why so? Why? Who put the math together for that? that Lincoln Riley. Keep going. That's why there's nobody like Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma State has held Oklahoma to zero points ten times. They only managed to win seven of those games. There are three zero zero ties in the history of Wait this series. <laughs> so Oklahoma State has held Oklahoma to zero points ten times. Ten times, yeah. <laughs> Only one seven of them. Yeah, three of those were zero zero ties. Where did he get this stat from? This guy. Oklahoma scored more points in Stillwater than Oklahoma State during the nineteen fifty six season. The whole. Now I'm curious how many points were scored. Hold on. 1956. Scored... How many points did OU score? All right, OU scored 53 points in Bedlam in 1956. So that means Oklahoma State scored less than 53 points the entire year, or at least, <laughs> or at least the home games, right? Wow. Yikes. Yikes. That's bad. Oklahoma has scored 54 or more points in Bedlam games 12 times. Oklahoma State has 15 head coaches that didn't score 54 points against Oklahoma in their entire career. 
<laughs> Whoa. How many times has Oklahoma State even scored 54 points in this series? Has it ever ha- I mean. Yeah, you had the Whedon year, didn't he? I don't even. Did they get there? I, I, I remember Gundy really throttling down in that game. Yeah, that one was 44-10. Huh? That one was 44-10. I just pulled it up. 44-10. Well, the one they played against, nope, that's in Stillwater or this period in the series? They had the uh, the clay to- the uh, the clay one whenever uh, Brennan Clay ran in the end zone when they went into overtime. That was a high scoring one. Yeah, I don't remember what the score of that one was. Was that twenty fifteen? Yeah, it gotta be twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, twenty fifteen, it was Oklahoma fifty eight twenty three. Twenty sixteen, thirty eight twenty. Even the 2017 shootout with Baker and Rudolph, OSU got to 52. Ah, I don't know. All right, here we go. Here's the next one. From the moment they got the charge from JFK, it took NASA eight years to plan the program, develop the technology, train the personnel, build and test the spacecraft, and then successfully land a man on the moon. It took Oklahoma State 10 years to score their first points in Bedlam. <laughs> I mean, when you put it like that. Okay, Oklahoma 62, Oklahoma State 52, 2017. Yeah, and again, not 54. Dang, yeah, you're right, yeah. 54. Crazy. From the moment they got the chart. Oh, that was the, that was the the NASA one we just did. Oklahoma won ten bedlam games in the 1950s. Oklahoma State has won ten bedlam games since the 1950s. I knew that one. I knew that one. That's, That's a good one. one. That's a good one. All right, here's the last one. Blinken Riley's bedlam Friday facts. Mike Gundy has two Bedlam wins. I know that. Barry Switzer had two Bedlam wins in Stillwater in odd-numbered years in the month of November when the day of the month is a prime number. No. Wow. Wow. Hey, bravo, Blinken. There you go. Blinken Riley, everybody. At Blinken Riley on Twitter. And again... I'm pretty sure my, my Twitter timeline today, like I haven't even seen anybody else's tweet. It literally is one Blinken Riley bedlam fact after another. There's probably, there's hundreds. I'm going to need to go check it out. I need to go follow him again. Blinken Riley is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. All right, Rufus, before I let you run, uh, give me your, your prediction of this thing. Uh, the, as of this morning, Bavada has Oklahoma minus seven in this game, and they've got the over under at 59. Oh, man. I mean, that's where my score was, 35-24. Okay. All right, so covering and right on the number. Yep. I had it 35-24. All right, my friend. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, If it gets real wild, then uh, then hit me up, and we'll uh, we'll just go crazy on the stream. Yes, sir. I'll holler at you later. All right. Rufus Alexander joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast.
That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Make sure you check out their line of natural medicine products. Their website is abotanicalcompany.com or you can give them a call 405-458-9699. Just educate yourself on what they have available and how it can help you in your daily life. Uh, their website is easy to navigate. You can order online, easy pickup, and uh, they're great people. Local ownership, do great things for the community around them. And again, just check out what they have available, abotanicalcompany.com. Give them a call, 405-458-9699. If you want to hit me up, you can do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. It's Bedlam Friday. We're over a little over 24 hours away from kickoff. I cannot wait for this game tomorrow night at 6.30. And again, before the game, two hours prior to kickoff at 4.30 tomorrow, Mike Steely and I have Bedlam pregame coverage, so tune in for that. I will tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels. We'll have a ton of fun, and again, I just can't wait for this Bedlam matchup, and it, it feels like it's it's just been a roller coaster season in terms of what we were what we expected from both of these teams and just the path that they've taken to get here. So uh, I'm excited. 6.30 kick tomorrow, 4.30 pregame at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter. I will tweet that link. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe. And I will see you tomorrow. The podcast is over.